Good evening and welcome to episode 100 of the Blue Ribbon Podcast. We have a special guest for you tonight. We're going to be joined tonight by Kevin Rutherford. If you've never heard of Kevin, he started his career as an owner-operator 30 years ago, running a one-truck operation with the sophistication of a much larger fleet of trucks. Over the years, his experience has evolved into a comprehensive slate of professional skills, including operations, logistics, accounting, financial planning, driver recruiting, information technology systems, fuel efficiency, and preventative maintenance. Let us not forget about his new endeavor of becoming an NTP, a nutritional therapy practitioner. Kevin was also a member of the Florida Road uh, Trucking Association Road Team. Currently, Kevin hosts Trucking Business and Beyond on Sirius XM Road Dog Trucking Radio. Kevin's down-to-earth ability to communicate to the professional driver with knowledge, experience, and statistics makes the show the only one of its kind dedicated to the success of the American professional truck driver. Um, Neither one of us would be where we are today if not for Kevin Rutherford, Uh, Larry through the CMC, me from listening on the radio, and everything that we do is made possible by uh, the selfless efforts that Kevin Rutherford puts forth on the radio. So uh, it is our great pleasure to welcome Kevin Rutherford to the Blue Ribbon Podcast. Kevin, how you doing? Thank you for being here. Hey there. Well, great to have me. Uh, I heard some things there that I haven't heard in a while. The Florida Road Team. Boy, that goes I, copied, I copied that off your website. So Got you know, it. Just... it all sounded great. Like <laughs> we're assume, we're assuming that's all true, but so. Uh, well, not... you know, truth is a slippery thing sometimes. <laughs> Most of it's so, true. <clears throat> so we were talking earlier about how um, you know, Larry and I came to this, um, this road of, of, of training and mentoring and trying to help people kind of by accident. Uh, we bumped into each other. We realized we both had kind of the same passion and we started to, uh, we started to put this program together. So I know that I've heard bits and pieces of your origin story, uh, from the years of listening on the radio. And I was kind of wondering if you could give us a little bit of that from from being a, a practitioner in in trucking and 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 doing the job uh over to how you became the teacher of the job got it so uh we'll give you the reader's digest version because 35 years could take a while to recap but we'll do the we'll do the quick stuff so you know i kind of resisted getting into trucking I, I grew up around it. My whole family was in trucking. My father, my brothers, my brother-in-laws, my uncles, everybody I knew drove a truck. And, and I kind of thought, you know, is that really what I want to go do? And I, I kind of resisted it. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought I was going to go fly helicopters. So I joined the army and that wasn't exactly what I wanted. I'm glad I did it. But I got out and I really didn't know what to do when I got out. And I thought, since I don't know what to do, I might as well tech take the path of least resistance right now, which is trucking, because I know it, I have contacts, I can go get a job in a day. Um, so I did. I, I, at that point, I didn't have any long-term plans to be in trucking. I just, it's what I'm going to do right now. And I immediately fell in love with it. So um, I was trying to avoid it. I shouldn't have. I absolutely loved it right from day one. But I also, I knew that I was an entrepreneur at heart. I mean, I was, you know, painting cars when I was 15 and making pretty good money at it. Um, I opened a gym when I was 19. I I knew that I wanted to be in business for myself. So I really started as an owner operator. I I never was a company driver. I've never received a paycheck for driving a truck. Um, Even when I started with Spartan, 
I didn't own a truck. Um, I hadn't had a driving job yet, but they had a yard truck that they would rent to me daily. I'd come in and if I, if I wanted to work that day, I could rent the truck and I'd go do all their extra work. And if I didn't do it, they'd go hire a temp to do it. So I, I just stuck with it. And then I bought my first $8,000 truck and I was in business, but I wasn't very good at business. Um, and I made tons of mistakes. I had lots of energy and enthusiasm, but I really didn't have any experience and I was making mistake after mistake. And then I realized, look, it, it, business is about numbers. So I started working on some spreadsheets and, and that's when I started figuring things out. But, but what I realized right away was every time I learned something, I wanted to share it with somebody. I would be like calling my friends. Hey, you wouldn't believe what I figured out. Hey, you got to see this latest spreadsheet I wrote. Hey, let me show you how to do this. So immediately people started asking me and anybody taking my advice then probably should have had their head examined. I mean, just because I figured out one thing, um, but that's kind of how it got started. And I, I would just, I just kept building on that. Every time I learned something and I, and I think, okay, if I'm an owner operator and I'm having this problem, there's an awful lot of other people having this problem too. If I can solve this for me, how many people can I help and solve it for them as well? And for a lot of years, I mean, I, I started that in 1990 was when I first started helping people with accounting and taxes. And then I sold the trucks in 2012. So you know, 22 years of me trucking was also trucking and giving advice and coaching and helping other people. Th that was really kind of how it got started. Just it, it's just that just seems to be my nature that I love to learn new things. But then as soon as I learn something, I want to share it with somebody else. And ultimately, at, at, at some point when the trucks, it wasn't enough of a challenge for me anymore. Um, I had too many other things going on. The trucks were in Florida. I was all over the place. I, I made, which at the time was probably the hardest decision I had ever made in my life. And that was to sell the trucks. And I thought, you know, I've had these things for years and years. They make money. It's really profitable. If I sell this and it's a bad decision, I'm going to be, you know, you just, you really, I, I don't second guess myself often, but that was a time that I really did. Um, but it was the best thing that I did. I, I think that since 2012, if you look, I, I've been able to help a lot more people than I was back then. And, and that was really my goal. This is working. It helps people. Let me just keep doing it. Um, and, and before we get too deep into this, you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect from this, but uh, I thought this was going to be about, about Larry instead of me. So Larry, I just got to say, Congratulations on a lot of things on on coming into this industry, you know, later in life and and really taking it on and succeeding and building a fleet. And congratulations on the podcast, both of you. I mean, a hundred podcast episodes is awesome. That's a lot of work. Well, thank you, Kevin. But like Chris said earlier, we we neither one of us would be doing this if it weren't for your influence. So we thank you because you're you know, you're, you're at the, at the, at the root of this. And, uh, I, listen, I got into trucking after a, a long career in photography and several other businesses. And I was 55 when I bought or, well, well, I didn't, well, yeah, I bought the truck in 2008 and, um, 
you know, uh, I tried to come to your first CM or it would have been my first CMC, but it was sold out. So I had to pay Lisa for next year. <laughs> <laughs> so our first CMC was in 2009. And um, I knew nothing about this business. You know, I knew a lot about business. I knew nothing about the trucking business. So what I knew, I learned from your midnight call-in shows, you know, like Chris said earlier, it, I listened so much that I could answer the questions before you did. <laughs> Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, you, you know, the thing, I don't know if I've ever told you this or not. I know I've mentioned it here and there, but if I had to, and I did, um, if I had to profile the, the person I wanted to work with the most, right. it was you. Not necessarily you in particular, but it was somebody with a business background that came into trucking and realized, I understand business. I need to learn trucking business. And you didn't have an ego to get in the way or you didn't let your ego get in the way. You know, you didn't come in and say, I've been in business my whole life. I know what the hell I'm doing. Don't try to tell me. You came in and said, I've been in business all my life, but I need to know this stuff. And I have found that that that's the profile of the person that succeeds in this industry. And that's who I wanted to work with. I wanted to work with people who were going to succeed. Well, I'm glad you did because it, you know, I, I tell people today, I said, you know, of all the things I've ever done, trucking is the easiest for me to make money. And they look at me like, what do you mean? And because and, it's really, really a hard job. Don't get me wrong, but there is no competition. You know, all you have to, I mean, you know, if you open up another business, you've got to advertise, you've got to market, you've got to inventory, you've got to go find customers, you've got to, you know, uh, uh, bill and, and, and chase money and, this business, you, you get on the load board and there's a hundred thousand loads on there today. You pick one of them, you go pick it up, you are driving you back to the dock and you hit a button on your Qualcomm and you're paid. How hard is yeah. it to do? You know? Yeah. And then all you got to do is do what you say you're going to do and build a few relationships. And then you don't have to worry about the load board. So, I mean, it, it's the simplest thing that I've ever done. I don't have to deal with mothers-in-law. I don't have to deal with a, a wedding couple that hadn't paid me a year later. And it, it just was so simple. And I thought, you know, when I, when I got into this, I really wasn't looking for another business. You know, I, I kind of got my CDL just sort of as a, I don't know, I didn't have anything else to do. It was just, I was curious, yeah, yeah. you know. And what I liked about it was the fact that it was sort of zen. You know, you could get in the truck, put the windows up, turn on the radio, and it's just you. And nothing I'd ever done in the past. I had employees. I had, you know, all the things you deal with in business. And this, I could do this, and it was, it was, I didn't have any of that. I didn't create a wake of little details that I had to deal with, you know, for months. And the big thing was the no employees thing. You know, everything else I've ever done, I've had, you know, many, many employees over the years. And you know how that goes. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, man, of course, you know, all my friends are going, what the hell are you doing? You know? And, <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, you wouldn't understand, but it, uh, it's right. very therapeutic. Okay. It was very therapeutic. And so, but you know how you said, you know, you, you felt you had that entrepreneurial spirit from the get go and you knew, and, and, and of course I do, I did too. And it was just only a matter of time before my wife said, if you do this one more month or two, we're going to own trucks. And sure enough, <laughs> yeah, sure enough, I bought go. my first truck and then my second one and my third one. And so because I couldn't drive down a road and not think about the possibilities because right. I found it to be so easy. And I could see that it didn't take a whole lot to make yourself set apart from 
for most everybody else, you know. And then I find you and I get out there to the CMC and all those one percenters out there. I'm like, dude, I have struck gold here. Now everybody out here, you know, I can just learn from the, from from everybody here, you know. Um, Let me, you know, the, pull, can we pull oh, us back? Ahead. I'm going to pull back to the origin story just real quick because, yeah. Um, when I started the American Truck Driver podcast in 2015, my motivation was everything that I learned, I learned the hard way. And maybe I can put out information that'll help somebody. But I never felt like, you know, who are you to to turn into a broadcaster? You know, but I'm sure other people were like, well, who the hell are you? You know, what was it that puts you into I need to go on the radio? I need to be on Sirius XM. How did that transition happen to 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 get up on the big stage? This is probably one of my favorite stories. I've told this one a bunch of times. Um, I'm smiling. <laughs> I know it's coming. So I'll kind of tie this into what Larry just said about marketing. You know, I was successful with trucking. It took me a while. I had some fits and starts and, you know, kind of had to do a couple redos. But then I figured out how to make money in trucking. And I, I was helping people with accounting and taxes. And I thought, you know what? There's a business here and I'm going to get started. And then I ran into this thing called marketing and sales. You know, in trucking, it just seems like if I showed up for work, somebody paid me. That was all I had to do. Just show up with a truck and somebody would pay me. And there was work everywhere. All of a sudden I have this business and I'm like, wait a minute, how, how do I get paid doing this? Where am I going to find customers? And I had no money. Because, you know, I, I, the trucks were doing okay, but I didn't have enough to go start another business and have all kinds of marketing money. And I thought, I'm going to have to do this on a budget. So I started looking, how, how and where can I reach truck drivers? And in the beginning, I was making these goofy little signs on my computer and printer with the little tear-off tabs at the bottom with phone numbers. Right. And I was driving around all day long while I was driving. I was stopping at every truck stop I passed and taping them to the phones. Remember when we used to have 35 phones? Oh, yeah. And yeah. I would do that until the truck stop got tired of it and they'd call me on my number and say, stop putting your signs on our phones. <laughs> but, and so that, would, that worked for a little while. And I would get up at two o'clock in the morning when the phone rang and I would answer the phone. Um, and that worked for a little while. And I thought, all right, I, I need something a little more sophisticated. Plus I'm going to get kicked out of all these truck stops if I keep doing it. So I thought, where can I reach truck drivers? And I thought, uh, magazines. Go to the truck stop. There's these magazines laying all over the place. So I wrote an article about saving money on taxes as an owner-operator. And I faxed it out to every magazine I could find. And there was probably, not exaggerating, I bet there were 40 of them back then, all those recruiting magazines. Mm -hmm. I faxed it to everybody. And two weeks later, I didn't have a single response. So I'm trying to think of a new idea and I get a call. Um, still very friends um, with the person. And he said, hey, I, he, he was the publisher of a small magazine. He said, I, I'd really like to have your article in our magazine. He said, but we have no budget. He said, I can't pay you to do this. And I said, that's okay as long as you'll let me put my information at the end of the article and people can call me. I, I'm more than happy to write a column every month. He said, well, sure, we'll put your information at the end and I'll give you a full page ad to go right next to your article. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, I'll do that. So Good I team. started writing. And yeah, and the phone started ringing. And one day 
the phone rang and it was Dave Nemo. And I knew who Dave Nemo was. You couldn't be in a truck and not know who he was. Uh, but I had never talked to him, never thought much about him. And he said, I'm reading this column you wrote about getting started as an owner operator. He said, would you come on my show and talk about it? And I said, sure, I'd love to. I had no plans of ever being in radio. That was nowhere on my roadmap in life. But when he called me, I thought, boy, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get to reach a lot of people with this message. So I still remember the first day I was on Dave's show. He, he said, tell us your story. Tell us how to get started as an owner operator. And I talked for probably 20 minutes. And he said, I, I don't want to interrupt you. He said, but would you be willing to take questions? Because our phone lines are just slammed. And what I said, year was this? Yeah. 2000, 2000, and was it earlier than that? No, had to be around 2000 if it was on satellite, early 2000 sometime. So he, he opened up the phone lines and the phone system crashed. And he said, I've been doing this radio thing a long time. He said, we've never had that happen. And he said, can you come back next month and talk about your column next month? And I said, sure. Two weeks later, he called me and he said, could you come on the air with me today? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, we've had so many requests since you were on the air. And I said, all right. On that show, he said, could you do the show every two weeks instead of a month? And I said, yeah, I can do that. The very next show, he said, can you do the show every week instead of every two weeks? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And the next thing I knew, I was on the radio and I absolutely loved it. There was one radio story before that, though. So I did do radio once before Dave Nemo, and it was Midnight Trucking. I was, when I did my very first seminar at Louisville, my biggest fear at the time was public speaking. I did not want to do it. I did not want to get up on a stage in front of people and talk. It, would, it terrified me. So Overdrive, I was writing some... I was helping them with their business column. I wasn't writing for him yet, but I was helping their business writer. And he called me and he said, hey, we, we developed this new program called Partners in Business. We hired this business trainer to present it. And we're going to have a panel of people. Uh, we have a guy who's an expert on insurance and trucking. And we have an engineer from Volvo that's going to be there to talk about trucks. And we want you to be on the panel and talk about taxes. And I thought, oh, man, you know, it, it, maybe it's just a panel. I, I don't really have to present. I, maybe I could do this. And I said, all right, I'll try it. And I was sick for the next two weeks just thinking about it. I got there. I couldn't eat. I thought I was going to throw up on stage. It was so bad. And I'm sitting up there on stage sweating bullets. The presenter starts talking. And honestly, the guy was brilliant. He wrote a book about becoming an owner operator in like the 60s or 70s. He knew his stuff. He was one of the worst presenters I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. The worst. He would go off on these weird tangents about how knowing how to cook in the mountains was one of the best business lessons. I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And everybody else was thinking the same thing. The room is full. 500 people, I bet, were in that room. All of the executives from Volvo were there from Sweden because they were the big sponsor of this and it was the first time and the room 
was starting to empty out. They had to bring chairs in in the beginning. They had so many people they didn't plan for, but the room was starting to empty out. And this guy is droning on and on. Finally, Overdrive calls a break, yanks the guy off stage. They get us all in a group and they said, look, we've got to move this along. We need to see if the audience has any questions. And for some reason, the person who was in charge of this looked at me and looked at the presenter and said, no matter what the question is, give it to Kevin. And I said, oh, no, I'm only here for taxes. And they said, no, no matter what it is, you're getting it first. And if you need help, ask the expert that's next to you. But you need to start talking because you're the only one up here that knows trucking right now. <clears throat> like, all right. So we go back on stage. I go back and sit down at my table. And I'm, now I'm really sweating bullets. And the guy starts talking and I'm waiting for him to take a question from the audience. And he doesn't. He just starts rambling again. And I'm, I start tuning out because I'm nervous. I'm wondering what's going to happen. I can't listen to this guy anymore. And the next thing I know, I hear him say, Kevin, what do you think about that? <laughs> I have no idea what this guy's talking about. I'm going to look like an idiot. So I went into total tunnel vision. I had no idea what I was doing, but I got up out of my chair, walked over to the center of the stage where he was, took the mic and said, before I answer that, does anybody have any questions? And immediately hands went up, questions were flying, and I'm pretty good at answering questions. So I wasn't nervous. I didn't have to present anything. I started answering questions. I was in the flow. It was just amazing. People loved it. We went like three and a half hours of Q&A. That was the, the presentation, three and a half hours of Q&A. Immediately after they said, look, we're going to fire that guy. This is a big program for us. We want you to be the presenter. You've got two months to get ready for the Las Vegas truck show. And I said, perfect. I can do that. Then something happened. Remember, we're talking about this whole radio thing again. I got on the plane on the way back and I'm all, you know, glowing because I just rocked this seminar and I've got this new contract and I'm excited and I'm reading Barron's magazine. And this would have been, I think, 99. That's why I know Dave's show had to be a little later than that, because the article I read in Barron's magazine was about this killer new technology that was coming out, satellite radio. Mm. And the two things clicked in my head. I, I said, I just sat there for three and a half hours answering people's questions. My idol for years had been Bruce Williams, talk radio. That's and who I, I was thought, trying to think of, Chris. Okay. Satellite <laughs> radio and truck drivers. Amazing. I hated AM radio on talk. You'd just be getting into the conversation and you lose the channel. Yeah. And it everything came together for me on that plane. I said, I will be on satellite radio someday answering questions. So I don't have a clue how I'm going to get into radio. I've never been in a studio. I know nothing about it. And I got to get ready for this new seminar that I've got to do. So I put a lot of work into my seminar. I'm prepared. I get to Las Vegas. I'm heading over to give my presentation. I'm waiting on a cab at the hotel. And there's this woman standing next to me and she sees my badge and she says, oh, you're going to the, over to the truck show. And I said, yeah. And she said, do you want to share a cab? I said, sure. 
So I get in the cab and she says, so tell me what you do. And so of course I start telling her about this seminar. It was Mindy Baker from Midnight Trucking. She's the mm. program director for the longest running trucking radio show in the country. So of course I hit her up and I said, Hey, you need to get me on your show one day and I'll talk about taxes. She said, yeah, that sounds good. Here's my card. So now I'm really excited. I get home after the show on Monday. First thing I do is I call her up. I get her voicemail. I leave a message. Hey, remember me. I'm that tax guy. It's going to come on the radio and help all your listeners. Didn't get a call back. The next Monday I called her again. Didn't get a call back. This went on for like a month. And I'm like, maybe she's just not interested, but you know, how hard is it to leave a voicemail? And then I thought I'll add an email. So I just put it on my calendar. Every Monday I'd leave her a voicemail and an email. And it went on for like four months, maybe longer. And then one night out of the blue, it was tax time. And she called me and she said, hey, you know, we really need to get somebody on to talk about taxes. We can get you in at 2.50 a.m. for 10 minutes. <laughs> that hey. was my introduction into radio. Yep. Three o'clock in the morning, I got 10 minutes, but that, and, and that kind of, you know, kind of got me hooked. I really enjoyed it. And then when Dave Nemo called, I, I really enjoyed it. And I said, okay, it, this is something I want to do. So after the, um, how long did you do the midnight show? How many years did you do that? I did my first show in April of 07. Okay. So if I got the new contract around 18, I think, 18 or 19. So to, I think I was on the air of midnights, like 12 years, midnights and weekends. How, how different is it for you? I mean, do you, do you, first of all, kind of explain what happened that allowed you to go from the midnight show to the primetime show. Tell that story. I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, know, I, I, I know a little bit of it from a listener standpoint. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the funny thing was, I never felt like I was really in radio. For some reason, because I got weekends and midnights and I didn't have a background in radio, I kind of felt like the redheaded stepchild that wasn't really a broadcaster, but you could kind of hear his show once in a while if you were willing to stay up late enough. Well, and you produce your own show. That too. You, you yeah, didn't I didn't know anything a... about radio. I, I We were winging it completely. So I, I kind of felt more like, a podcaster that got stuck on the air somehow. Right, right, right. So I, I never felt like I was really legitimate, I guess. But I didn't care because being on the radio was never my point. Right. Helping people was my point. And yeah. being on the radio allowed me to help more people than ever. So I was fine with it. Um, I, had all, I had been telling them for years and years I wanted a different time slot. I, I said, look, you know, I think I've put in my time. I've done weekends. I've done midnights. My show's popular. I, I want another time slot. And every time I would ask for it, they would say, we're willing to give you another time slot, but there's one problem. And I said, what's that? And they said, every other time slot, we depend on live reads for revenue. That's a big part of our revenue, the host doing live reads. And you've made it very clear to us you're not going to do them. And I said, that's right. I'm not. And the program director at the time, the guy had been in radio for, no, the station director um, had been in radio for like 40 years. And the guy said, I've never had a host refuse to do live reads. And I said, I'm not really a host. <laughs> 
And I said, I'm just not going to do them. I said, it just conflicts with everything I do. It will confuse people. I'm not going to read things about products. I don't test, trust, endorse, love myself. So I guess I'm stuck on midnights if that's the case. Then finally, they, they called me and they said, look, we really do want to try you in another time slot. Um, and I actually got to the point where I said, if I don't get a new time slot this time, I might just go back to podcasting. Um, I, I've just, I've had enough. I think it's my time. Uh, and they said, all right, let us work on it. And they came back and said, if you would be willing to do live reads just for news and weather, you're not endorsing anything. You're not saying it's an, it's an amazing product. You're just saying news and weather was sponsored by so-and-so and it's almost always fleets. And I said, I can do that. That's not a problem. It doesn't conflict, won't confuse anybody. Um, they said, all right, we'll, we'll give you a shot. And they, you know, had me fill in on um, the show one day. They called me right after the show and they said, all right, it's time to talk. What time slot would you like? So other than that, I, I don't know what else might have happened. Well, I think there was a little um, fatigue in that time slot you know, with the hosts that were there before you, you know, um, I think, I think there was, you know, when you on the, when you're on the weekends, okay, it would piss everybody off because they would interrupt you for a football game, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I know they must've got thousands of calls complaining. I, I mean, I remember seeing comments on Facebook where I canceled, uh, my serious XM subscription because of the fact that they keep interrupting your show. So there's no telling how many hundreds of people did that. Yeah, that was one of the other. There were a couple other time slots I tried to get throughout the years, and they were earlier in the day, like maybe four o'clock in the afternoon, those kind of things. And the other problem they said was if they would have put my show in that slot, I would have been preempted a lot more. Mm. And they said, we don't want to hear all these calls and complaints when you get preempted. So we don't want to put you in a slot that gets preempted. Right. So but, you know, we've gone back and forth on that a couple times. There's like 200 channels, okay? There's only, uh, what, 30 or 40 football games? They can't find any of the other channels they can interrupt once in a while and let you stay on the radio? I mean, I'm, that's, that's the thing that everybody would say, you know? So Exactly. Yeah, you, you know, you have 17 Latin music channels. Can't you spare one of them for one a couple hours? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I wanted to ask a question about haters because – uh, they don't really bother me, and I'm pretty much a troll, so I can give it right back to them. Um, but it, I, I've always been puzzled why why human nature we love an underdog until they win too much, and then we hate them. You know, yeah. give us the underdog, we will love that story and love that story, and then the underdog becomes successful and wins too much, and now we hate him, and they cheat, and they suck, and they lie, and there's everything terrible about them. And so, you know, we get plenty of hate from inside the Landstar community because, number one, they don't understand how we're making money. They, 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 I think they resent the fact that we do something that they think is impossible, old trucks, debt-free. Right. So, therefore, right. they're insulted, I guess, that, that their way, you know, or we'll just straight, straight up say that we won't buy a new truck, and so if they have a new truck, then they're butthurt. Um, <clears throat> so I've always been – fascinated especially with guys like you and dave ramsey and other other people that have the platform where they're trying to help people i'm like how the hell do you hate kevin rutherford you know how that's always baffled me um and obviously i guess you you know you pretty much got to have thick skin 
but how do you, I guess, I, I guess what I'm asking is when you're thinking about your products and services, you're basically just thinking about your customer and then the haters being upset's a bonus. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I look, and if, if I said they don't bother me, I'd be lying. I, I, I just don't know. I, I mean, I have pretty tough skin and I can deal with it, but I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And, and I have to actively avoid it at times because there are times it can really start to get to you. You know, and, and I, I, I know authors, I know several authors and I've talked to them about this and, and they'll say the same thing. They'll say my most successful book, I might have a thousand five-star reviews and people are raving about the book and, and I love it, but I will get stuck on those two or three one-star reviews where they ripped me apart and that's all I can think about. And I, I've done the same thing. You put out a product, the, the CMC, whatever it is, and people will, you know, rip it apart. Oh, my God, what the hell are you going to learn there? What could he possibly teach in five days? And people would call me and say, I'll come to the CFC if you can tell me what you're going to teach me. And I'll say, OK, I just need five days. <laughs> I, it, it's five days. It takes me that long to teach it. How can I do it any shorter? What am I going to learn? You're going to learn everything you need to know to be successful in trucking. Well, what? Fuel mileage, tires, taxes, maintenance, relationships, freight, late rate. Late. But what specifically? That's what it takes me five days to tell you. So take a chance. But I, but I guess I never, I mean, if, if you allow yourself, it's too easy to focus on the haters. It can really bring you down. So I had to actively ignore the haters, especially when I'm working on a project and only focus on the people I know who want this project. The people who are going to benefit from it, the people who, even if it's not perfect, it's better than anything else they've had and they'll appreciate it. And I just have to stay very focused on them. If you start thinking about the haters at that point, they will totally derail you. That's why I'm, I'm not allowed to read the comments. So. It, it's, it's a good thing. I stay away from them. I mean, I don't, even though I will occasionally still post on Facebook and I post a lot on my two sites, I, I don't actively engage much arguing on social media. I'll do I it on my a... show because I, I think it, it, in a lot of ways it makes good radio and it's, it's not nearly as frustrating. Arguing with somebody on social media is a total waste of time. I have a good friend that says, don't ever argue with idiots. They'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and they will I, every time I have found myself just walking away from a conversation in mid sense. It's like, Oh man, I'm arguing with an idiot. Just walk off. Yeah. Um, every now and then I'll respond to somebody and I'll think based on what they said, if I just give them this piece of information, then they're going to get it. And I'll give them that piece of information. They'll blow right by it and just go right back into it. And then I'll think, oh, no, maybe they need this piece of information. And then at some point I'll go, you idiot, stop doing this. They're not listening. They're never going to listen. And they will wear you out. Yeah. Well, we, we, I, we're very specific with our audience that, that you know, we're, I have no um problem with you have the wherewithal and uh and the savings and and to go write a check for a brand new truck god bless you okay but if you're the first time owner operator coming to landstar for the first time and you don't own a truck i do not condone it in that situation 
And that's, but people will look at that and go, well, you own, according to them, we can only be successful if we drive an old beat up truck, but that's not at all what we said, you know, and you had the same thing about the CMC. People go, well, you're wasting your time going out there. All they do is tell me that, you know, it, it, it wasn't for everybody, you know, um, it wasn't for a lot of people. You know what might be fun to do though, especially now that I'm not trying to sell or market the CMC. So this wouldn't come across as, well, you're just trying to, you know, fill up your next event. I I would love to go back and highlight all the success stories from the CMC. Mm. I am in awe of many of the people who have come to the CMC over the years and what they've accomplished. And we thought about doing that. But it, it. if you're still doing the event, it just comes across as just pure marketing. You're just trying to, but you know, now we're a couple of years away from it. We don't have any events really going on. It might be fun to go back and just highlight the people, you know, over the years who have gone through that program and what they're doing now. Have you thought about it in some type of format that might not be five days or is, is there a CMC event in the future? There is an event. I don't know. I don't want to say CMC because then that locks us into, you know, kind of looking like that again. There, there's an event. And what I'm waiting for, honestly, is to see what events are going to turn into now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I, it, events have changed clearly. And there's way too much risk now. We still have governments locking things down. Mm-hmm. Um, it cost us a fortune because of our CMC contract to get out of it. I, I'm talking damn near a hundred thousand dollars it cost us. Right. Um, so, it, you know, when, when the, you, it was funny, you said you couldn't go to the one CMC cause it was sold out it, at one point, a sold out CMC meant 25 people. This was in Kansas city though. In 08. Okay. So it yeah. went 25 people. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was another, and then it got to the point where a, a sold out event might mean 300 people. Right. Right. Um, but in the beginning it was small when it gets big, events are really risky. Mm-hmm, you know, certainly. I used to, I, I used to really, really panic. Like what happens if I get sick? I mean, like end up in the hospital or I get injured or the day before a CMC and we have 300 people who have already paid $1,800 to be here. Right. What do I do? Uh, mm. I, I understand, you know, <clears throat> that's <laughs> when we started, you know, getting people to, to that's when in the beginning, the CMC was two days. They were about 12 hours long. And I was the only one that talked. Yeah. And, and you know, at, as it grew, I kept saying, we've got to get other speakers in here. We've got to get more people in here. One, because we needed more information. But two, right. I, I just couldn't be the whole thing. There was just way too much risk in that. <laughs> well, you had a good balance, though. But that was the other thing that was hard to understand. If you didn't go there... You, you, you know, I, I know that like the first day when you had the, um, the personality, uh, what was his name? I can't remember his name now. Um, guy from Texas, um, the negotiating, the oh. negotiating guy. Uh, oh, George Gallimore. George Gallimore. Thank you. Yeah. Told you I'm getting 68. Okay. Did I say <laughs> that? But you know, a lot of people would, would look at that if, if they were at a convention where they could choose which class they wanted to attend, you know, and they saw that one, a lot of people wouldn't go there because they wouldn't think that that's something that they would need or enjoy or, or appreciate. But when you go there and you sit through it, it ends up being one of the, one of the best days of the five, you know? And a lot of people, yeah, George was excellent. Still is. I mean, George is so entertaining on stage. You know, 
you know what my biggest it wasn't a huge concern but i remember a little bit of a flicker we remember well you might not know we went through two other trainers for negotiation i was with one other one i didn't have, i don't know about the second yeah we we went through George two i had to, yeah we got rid of two of them because i just was not happy with what they were doing right. um and i remember mm-hmm. meeting george thinking oh this guy's good but then when he walked up on stage and i watched the first 15 minutes i almost thought Maybe he's too oh boy. good. I know. Maybe, maybe he's too good. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't want to have to follow this guy because he's really good on stage. Uh, but it, it it worked out great. And and uh, then you bring in Larry Wingett of all people. And, yeah, and, and, and have uh, to follow that. Have to follow that show. You know. And and earlier I talked about Mindy Baker giving me my first big break in radio. And Damn. later on we had Mindy's father. Who is, boy, I, I, he's every bit as good on stage as Larry Wingett. Larry's in the Speaker's Hall of Fame. He Um, is. is. You know, and I, I I had to get comfortable being around other good speakers because it just made me better. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I don't think it was a competition. Everybody had their strengths, you know, you had your thing. People came, you know, people that come to it they know what you're going to talk about because you talk about every damn day, you know, these other people, right. they don't know until they're there, you know, but you know, it, was, listen, it was powerhouse. You know, I get calls all, or not calls, but comments all the time. You know, I wish I could have been to a CMC. I really, cause I talk about it all the time. I mean, that's where I got my knowledge, you know, and we yeah. give you all kinds of credit. Okay. But it makes people go, well, how can I go? How can I do one of these? We had a guest on here, very, very successful team operator at Landstar. You know, and she got in right after the CMC stopped, you know, and she goes, man, I wish I could have been to one of those things. You know, it would have it would have, you know, accelerated my career. And um, so, I mean, look, you have a a, a lot of people out here that are really, really rooting you on to uh, to jump back in that arena, just in case you want to know that. So we're going to do something and I miss it. I I really want to do something. It'll be it'll be different. I don't know what that means yet. And some of it is we just have to wait and see how this whole event industry shakes out. And, sure. um, it, you know, my here will be the challenge. Um, I hope there is that kind of demand out there. I, I you know, I always worry, is there really? And, and you know, I, I hope there is. But I, I have to believe that we start event again. I'm going to really limit the number of people in it. Um, I, I would be afraid of trying to start a new event, having 400 people. Sure. I, it's too much. So we'll, we'll probably do some sort of limited event where there's 50 to a hundred people, maybe. So we can kind of get our feet wet and learn it again. And, and you know, me, I'm always terrified that I'm not going to provide enough value. I know, but you've never let me down, but Hey, it's supply and demand, bud. Okay. 50, if it's only 50 people can get in. It, correct. Right. Right. I want to I want to pull in some maintenance because I think would be remiss if we didn't to talk about, you know, uh, taxes and and accounting and all of the important um, things that, you know, that are just as important in business are are, are great. But if your truck won't run, you don't have you're not going to have any money to worry about taxes. Um, And, you know, over the last four years since I came in to helping Larry run a fleet. I've been absolutely appalled at the state of the maintenance side of this industry. You know, it is, it's, it's terrible, but the bright side is, um, we now have Dr. Bonecutter. 
we have a guy named Carl that worked at a TA for 17 years and <clears throat> just went above and beyond in every situation. And we just, but it's funny because BCOs would run from him because he was the Landstar inspector at that location. <laughs> and they would walk in and be like, is Carl here? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, never mind. And he'd leave. So I avoided him like the plague. Right. Right. But I told Larry about him. Larry's like, well, no, that well, that's the kind of guy we want. We want somebody <laughs> to look at the truck and make sure. Right. <clears throat> and, and, and it was this progression because we still had that programming. Well, you know, we better take it to the dealer and have the professional certified guy. And then we'd have to take it to Carl and have him undo all the damage that was done at the dealership. So we finally got right. smart enough to just go around there and go straight to him. Well, now in the last, what, two months, Larry? Yeah, two or three months. He has left TA and he's gone on his own. Okay. And I have found this strange phenomenon. I used to be terrified of the idea, driver calls me, truck's on the shoulder in some random place, and now I've got to find somebody. Right. But I'm telling you, the last four or five times that's happened, I've been shocked to find a really good mechanic that shows up and says, listen, I'm not going to charge you a show-up fee. It's 100 bucks an hour. Um, they dig into the truck. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's wrong. Um, let's get it fixed. And, like, these are independent guys with a, a trailer or a truck. And this has happened four or five times, and I'm going, have, has, has, the, has the tipping point happened? where so many of these Carls are getting their own truck and trailer and just going to say, you know, screw the shop. I'm going to go directly to the customer. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I, I don't know if there's a tipping point. I don't know if that's happening more um, because I can tell you that was my model for years. Um, I, I wanted independent shops. I wanted to know that the guy who owned the place was probably still turning wrenches a year or two ago or still turns wrenches now. I mean, that was the kind of shop I always wanted to deal with. And I always sought those shops out. Um, I, I'm just a big believer in small business. I like to, you know, do business with the people that have skin in the game. So for me, that, that was always my model. And the, the hardest time I ever had finding one was when I moved my trucks to Orlando. Well, when I moved to Jacksonville for a year, I never found one. I spent an entire year trying to find a good shop or a good mechanic in Jacksonville, never found one. I was to the point where I was driving like two hours outside of Jacksonville to try to find somebody. And then after the year, I moved down to Orlando. So I had to start all over again anyway. But it took me about a year in uh, Florida. It's just not a big truck place. You know, it, it's not. We, we know all the problems that, you know, the middle of the country, you can find all kinds of truck mechanics. You just don't find that many in Florida. So I had to look hard. And it turned out I, I found a small independent shop, really built a relationship with the service manager. And the service manager ultimately did what you just said. He went and bought a truck and a trailer and he started doing his own thing. And I, I went with him and it, it paid off. He's got an awesome business now in Orlando, Action Mobile. John Douglas is still there, still a friend of mine. Um, but people like him and Bruce, and, and those were always the shops I went after. And I used to tell people, if you're going to be an owner-operator, find that shop as close to home as possible. Start working on it right now. Find that independent shop, that independent mechanic. And the initial response is always, but I'm never home. I, I'm always on the road. What good's it going to do me? I'll tell you what good it did me. 
when I had a truck break down on the road, when I had multiple trucks, my driver's calling me, trying to explain to me what's going on. We get it towed to a shop. The shop's trying to explain to me what's going on. And I don't trust them because I don't know them. I would call my shop. I'd call John and say, hey, John, could you do me a favor? Can you get on the phone with these guys? Make sure this sounds right. Um, I, I don't really understand what they're saying. It's not something I get. And absolutely, John would get on the phone. He'd call the shop. And, and that carries a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, and, we, and have, it, we, we, we have a similar situation, you know. We, of course, we got Carl. And, you know, we can't always get the, the truck back to West Virginia where Carl can get it, you know, get at it, but we'll get one of these independent guys on the, on the, on the phone. And I mean, Chris asked the last one, we had a, we had a same thing in Texas and we have a guy that's in our program that is a 30 year Detroit technician. Okay. And right. so, and now he's an owner operator and, uh, and Chris says, Hey, do you mind if I get a guy who's got 30 years experience call and talk to you about this? No, no, please do. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. But then we go to a, to a, the dealership, oh. you know, and the shop foreman at this dealership looked at this truck and told us that <laughs> it was that, a 14 liter Detroit with a VGT turbo. Right. And it's laying on the, on the thing. And I'm on, looking on the, on the bench. It's laying on the bench and I'm looking at the actuator, you know, cause you know how they, they get on those 14 liters yeah. actuator start getting sticky. And uh, I said, I'm looking at this actuator. He goes, that's not an actuator. That's a wastegate. And I laughed because I thought he was joking. No, he's dead serious. So it's, that's not an actuator. And I'm thinking, you're the foreman? Jesus, help us. And been there for a long time. I mean, he wasn't a rookie. I just looked at him. My mouth fell open. I'm like, the, and, and we're trusting you to fix this truck? And you don't even know the difference between a wastegate and, a, and an actuator? The only OEM shop I really ever had a good long-term relationship was the Detroit dealer in Orlando. Um, Their building, I I could walk from where my trucks were parked. It was an easy walk over to their building. You could see it from where we parked our trucks. And over the years, even with multiple changes in service managers, you know, in the beginning, I went over there, thought, I I, I mean, I have to use these guys. All my trucks have Detroits. They're right here. Why wouldn't I use them? Um, but you know, I need to go build the relationship. I went over there, talked to the service manager, explained everything. And I thought, man, did I get lucky? This guy is just awesome. And he was there for years. And when I showed up one day and they said, he's gone and we have a new service manager, I thought, oh, well, there goes the end of that. Except the next guy was just as good. And over the years, we went through a couple more. And every time I have to say that was probably one of the best run Detroit shops I've ever been in year after year after year, even with personnel change, they were always amazing. We talk so much about, you know, attitude and identity here in this program, you know, seeing yourself as a business owner, not as an employee company driver. And I think that's a big part of the issue with the, with the shop mentality is that they, they don't care, you know, they, they, they clock in at eight, they leave at five. If the, they don't care about the customer because they're disconnected. Every other person for the dispatchers and the customer service people and the drivers, we're all attached to the customer. The customer can get their hands around our necks, but they don't. And so I see this, it's, it's very robotic in that, um, you know, we, we don't have the part. I'm like, really give me the part number. I'll have it here tomorrow. That's the service. That parts manager, by the way, you know, I sat in his office and 
and got a part he said was on a 52-week back order, and I had it sitting on his desk the next morning. And, yeah. and, the, and the next week, we found out that they were a franchise for the, for the aftermarket part that we got that he couldn't find. Oh, <laughs> so one of the things I think you find at the shop level, especially the OEM shops, is that they just do not distinguish at all between company trucks and owner operators. No, no. To them, it's just a truck. They, it, it, and, you know, if you've got a fleet of 10,000 trucks and three of them are in the shop, who cares? You wouldn't even right. notice it. Right. If I have one truck and it's in the shop, it's a problem. So shops that won't distinguish between company trucks and owner operators, I don't want to work with them. Um, the, the thing about Bruce, um, I know Bruce has been pretty controversial over the years for a lot of reasons, but I, I, I tell you, there is not a single shop in this country that has worked harder for the owner operator than Pittsburgh power. And that has been, Bruce has had the opportunity to go pick up fleet contracts to, and he absolutely refuses. He does not work on fleet trucks. I, that's not his market. He doesn't want it. He wants to work with the guy who pays the bills and has skin in the game. Right, right. Well, we, 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 um, we hear all the time about the quality of drivers that, that are out there. And, but I'll tell you what, it, it, I, I, we have found that it's not hard to find drivers if you, if you look the right place and, and, and offer the right thing. I don't know how you fix this shop deal. I mean, wh where is the breeding ground? Where, where do we get them? You know, it's, and, and even if they teach them the technology part of it, they have no, earthly concept of customer service you know so none. think about think about somebody like chad hone no oh. <laughs> chad should write a book about customer service yeah uh, absolutely. and that's the only way we solve this we're never going to change the oem shops or many shops we have to find the exceptions we talk about Carl and even Chad on the on this on this so much. People at first thought that they were people that we, that we made them up that they didn't exist. We literally had to take a picture of us with Carl at one of our live events and put it on Facebook or put it in YouTube, so people would realize that he really did exist. And then somebody said his hands are too clean to be a mechanic. Hetch you somebody you got out of the parking lot, but because uh, nobody believed that they would do what they do, nobody believes that Chad treats the customers the way he does. Nobody would believe that if you didn't go there, you know? You know, I, I will, I'll back you up on that because when I first met Chad and certainly I was impressed by him, he's a sharp guy, he speaks well, he certainly knows his stuff. And sure, this is a guy we can work with, we can recommend him. I started sure. recommending him. And I would start to get messages or people would call me and they'd say, what's with this Chad guy? And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, 15 minutes after I left, he called me to make sure everything was right on my truck. The next day, he called me to make sure everything was right on my truck. I'm like, no, he didn't. They're like, no, really, he did. And I kept hearing that. And I'm like, really? Here's a guy out here doing alignments in parking lots, and he's got a better customer service program than I do? I better step up my game. The first time, uh, first time I had him align one of my trucks. This has been a way, way back. But... um we do it and I get ready to pay him. And he goes, no, no, you drive it. And then you pay me if it's right. Where do you get that? You know, <laughs> let me give and you another story. And then a week, and then a week later after I pay him, he calls me back again and says, is it still doing okay? I mean, dude, I, I, I everybody I met, I said, look, I drive all the way from Kentucky to Kansas city because I won't let anybody else 
touch my truck, you know. And I swear he gets better every year. Absolutely. I, he started off amazing, but here's a good, here's a good lesson about customer service in business. I was I, just walking by Lisa's office the other day and I heard her talking to this guy and it, it, it was kind of an odd conversation and it was about a, a certain product, a supplement. It was a health call. And I thought, I'm, I should just stand here. I, I might be able to help on this call because it's, it's sounding a little odd. So I introduced myself and I got Lisa put it on speakerphone. And I said, I was kind of listening to this conversation and something seems odd to me. I said, how do you know about us? I said, why did you ever buy this product in the first place? And the problem was we sent him the wrong product. That's what he was calling about. We, we had a, a product called this, and then there was one called this free. It, it, they're so similar. The packages look identical. So it was a mistake. We made it. But I, I asked the guy, I said, how did you find us? And he's like, well, he said, I used this product like six years ago when I tried the Atkins diet and it worked really well and I got my blood sugar under control and I was happy. And he said, I let everything slip. And he said, I remembered this product. So he said, I Googled the product and you were the one of the people that came up. So I went to your website and I liked it and I bought it. And I said, so you have no idea who we are or what we do. And he's like, no, I, you just, I, you had this product and I bought it from you. Well, first of all, Lisa had already told him we screwed up, keep the product we sent you and use it because it's identical to the other product. It just has a little bit of sweetener in it. And he said, well, is that going to mess up my keto? And I said, no, I can assure you it won't. So go ahead and use that product. And we're going to send you the right product because this was our mistake. He's like, well, I feel guilty using it. I should just send it back to you. And I'm like, no, don't send it back. That's too much trouble. We screwed up. Keep it, use it. We're going to send you another one. And he said, uh, okay, he said, so you could like help me with nutritional questions. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. So he asked me a couple of questions. I answered them. And he said, you know, he said, I, 15 minutes ago, I had no idea who you are. He said, you now have a customer for life. He said, I'm going to go look at your website and anything on your website that I might buy someplace else, I'm just going to buy from you. How easy was that? All we did was answer the phone, make, make our mistake right and then answer some questions for him. That's all we did. He is over the top. The guy doesn't even know who we are. You know, <clears throat> we we preach communication to our guys, you know, because that's how you build a relationship with between the drivers and agents, you know, is communicate. Drivers and customers. And we get, of course, we attract a little different person than, than the average truck fleet right. would get because again the education that they endure watching our youtube for hundreds of hours <clears throat> so they get here and we talk about you know email the customer when you arrive email when you leave da, da, da. and they look at you like well why are you having to tell us that wouldn't that just be normal and then i start showing these facebook posts of of agents who have all these examples of how, right. how not only do they not do it they were you know they refuse to do it and i'm like see this is why when I say this is the easiest business I've ever been in, it's for, it's this kind of thing. If you understand how business works, if you understand how to keep a customer, how to get a customer, this is an easy business to do because the majority of people out there don't know or don't care or don't utilize it. And all you got to do is the simplest thing. You know, I worked for a, I worked for the busiest gas station in Lexington, Kentucky growing up in high school. I don't know how many, we pumped a lot of gas. Okay. 
And the guy that owned the station, Jim Moore, I'm a high school guy, okay? He uh, he said, look, I don't care if they can. And gas was 25 cents a gallon, by the way, okay? Right. He said, I don't care if they just buy one gallon of gas. You are going to raise the hood and check the oil and wipe the headlights off and clean the windshield and ask if they want the tires checked there for a go. quarter. And the first, <laughs> the first time you don't, I'm going to put my boot in your ass. And he literally would do that. Yeah. I, I was watching one night across the, 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 the island, and we had a new guy. He didn't do it. And here come Mr. Moore out there and kicked him right in his ass. And he said, yeah. son, if you aren't already looking for another job, you need to start right now, buddy. But now, who does that? I mean, who cares about the customer anymore? You know, when I first got into business, and, and you can still see this sometimes, there's this theory that we've heard it, the customer's always right. And I've even seen rules like rule number one, the customer's always right. Rule number two, if you doubt it, refer to rule number one. Right, right. Well, I agree with it somewhat. The, you, you need to start with that premise that the customer's always right and you're going to give them what they want. At some point, I fire customers too, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We do too. And every business should. Every business yeah. should fire customers. It, it, I, I'm, I'm not going to do things I don't feel right about to make a customer happy just because somebody says the customer's always right. They right. might be right, but they're not right for me. Right. So if I decide you are my customer, I will do everything to bring value to you. If I decide right. you're not my customer, you're just, I don't want to do business with you. And that's good, but you have that choice. What's bad, I though? I a really good example of this the other day. We right. just started charging $3 a month for our website. $3 okay. a month. And because it used to be free, I said, if we're going to charge $3 a month, I'm going to make sure you get something new. You're going to get recipes, meal plans, and one live event every month. Okay. I, I got to figure that's worth three bucks, right? And if three bucks is too much, pay for the whole year. It's only $30 for the whole year. So now it's even cheaper. Right. Somebody said, and we're doing this because of the trolls and the haters that almost got my show canceled. I was off the air for a week over this. I right. thought for sure I had lost my contract because they wouldn't talk to me for that week. So we had to do something. I've tried. Sure, there are other ways of doing it. I've tried them. They're not working. They're too expensive. They're too labor intensive. They cause too many problems. Finally, I said, this is simple. Charge three bucks. Now we know who the person is. That was all I wanted. I needed a way to prove who it was so we can get rid of them if they're a problem and they can't keep coming back. There you go. Somebody immediately posted on my site, on the other site that's still free, Trucking Tribe, they posted, this isn't about trolls. This is just about making more money. More money, of course. And I, I said, look, if, when I make money, I'm the first one to admit it. Right. I'm in business to make money. I've never been shy about that. But if I tell you I'm not doing this to make money this time, I gave a real clear explanation why we're doing it. And I went through it again. I explained it all. I laid it all out. And they said, no, I don't believe it. I think it's just for money. But then they said, and I went and checked, they are a really loyal customer. They have spent a lot of money in our store. They, they support us a lot. And I went back and I said, I'm a little confused. I said, do you really not believe me? Do you think I'm lying over $3 a month? And they said, yeah. And I said, don't do business with me anymore. 
I don't want your money. If you don't trust me, if you don't believe me over $3, why would you want to do business with me? Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, we used to get, well, we, I'm saying we, you used to get criticism because they would, people would, that didn't know would assume that you sold out to sponsors for the money. And, you know, and when I would encounter that, I, you know, I would say, you have no idea how many people that go to the CMC that get together and help test these things before we ever even look at it. And if you knew how many people that he turns down every month that would pay anything to be on the show, you wouldn't think that way. But that's the assumption is everything. We'll, being we'll, done we'll never convince people that that's not true. We, we don't really have sponsors. I don't no. have any sponsor packages. You can't buy a commercial from me. It did. We have partners. Right. And yes, I promote their product heavily because I believe in them. Sure. It, <clears> and, <throat> and it's always been that way. And, and that's why I won't do live reads. Hell, I right. got stuck on midnights and weekends for years because of that. I could have just said, fine, give me the script. I'll read it. I don't care. And I would have had a better time slot. I, th- I think it all started, though, with the Turbo 300D or what it was called, Turbo 3000. Remember that, remember 3, that fiasco? Yeah. By the yeah, way, and- I don't think Chris knows that. There's one of those on that Mercedes engine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, has, it has 1.8 million miles on it, by, I, by the way, with no, over, with no uh, end frame. So. <laughs> that was by far the most controversial product. In some ways, I, I almost wish it would have never happened. But in some ways, I'm glad it did. I mean, yeah. it, it, it taught me this is what you're going to have to deal with. Right. If you're going to go on the air and say you believe something that's controversial, this is just what you're going to have to deal with. And, you know, the crazy thing was, well, people would say, prove it. We have a dozen, a dozen times. I, I, does it work every time? No, but nothing does. Nothing does. Yeah. Well, you know, nothing in the engineering, in the engineering world, and, would... and here's the other thing: there came a time where the ISX came out. We couldn't get results on the ISX with that. Then another engine came out. We weren't getting results with it. And I went on the air and said, "Hey, look, uh, if you've got an ISX, don't buy this. It's not working. We can't get it to work." And at some point, I wasn't talking about it anymore because there wasn't enough trucks left that I was working on anymore. Well, it was on every counter at every TA in the country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. Andy, like you were, Andy you were the only one that could buy from, you know? Yeah. Andy Matouche was a hell of a salesman. Yeah, yeah. But you know, in the engineering world, that's called an accumulator. It, it's not yeah. snake oil, you know? It, 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 no, there's, it, there's physics behind it. But it probably doesn't work on a high-pressure fuel rail. No need for it. Correct. People, I can remember somebody cut it in half and then attached it to the end of their garden hose or something and said, look, I can prove this thing doesn't do anything. I'm like, you're right. I would never water my garden with that device. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Get us back on track, Chris. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the market and, and, and economics, um, cause Lord knows Americans are in, in dire need of a lesson in economics. Um, you know, we're dealing with inflation. We're dealing with, um, <clears throat> shortages, uh, labor shortages, uh, freight bottlenecks, you know, people wanting to get boats to go Christmas shopping. Um, you know, so much propaganda, just, just so much nonsense coming from the, the news media that you, you just don't, you just, you, it's like you, you turn on 
uh, uh, news and you have to go, okay, what, what are they lying to me about now? Yeah. Um, so much fear, you know, set aside the pandemic, you know, and, and all of the fear that that created just this economic turmoil. We're seeing unprecedented rates. We are, we're doubling our minimum from last year. You know, uh, we had a minimum amount of revenue we needed to need. We're, we're doing, we're doubling that now. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's, it, we see Larry calls it the Landstar retirement plan. People come to Landstar, they get some undisciplined freedom. Uh, they say, well, hell, I can make, I can do one load a week, make what I made last year. And then the bubble pops and now they're up a Creek with not an ore in sight. Um, so we take the view that this is the market when you should not be going home. You should not be going on vacation. You should absolutely be working as hard as you can and piling up as much money as you can because it's easy to do $10,000 a week in total revenue right now. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about, you know, the interim, probably 18 months we got left in this, maybe if we're lucky, and then we're going to have that – that collapse that everybody's not going to believe is going to happen. Talking about puts you on the spot, Kevin, right? Yeah. Well, look, you know, I, I, I don't know that any of us can predict what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. Other than the fact that you just have to look at history. Markets don't continue to go up forever. They never have, they never will. They end at some point. If we look it, and I, I hate to even talk about this because it's scary. If we look at history, the longer and steeper the run up, the bigger the drop and the longer it lasts. It, it's been a pretty clear pattern forever. 08 was our longest or our worst crash since the Great Depression. They were almost, you know, calling it a depression. It was so bad in 08. And it took us the longest to really, truly recover from it. But that whole recovery time has been the longest run up to where we are now. You know, 08 was rough, 9 sucked, 10, you know, wasn't anything to brag about, 11 started to get a little better, 12, I thought we were pretty well back to normal. And we've mm -hmm. been on a tear ever since with almost no downside. So I'm afraid that if patterns hold, this is going to be a bigger, longer downturn than we've seen. And there seem to be a lot of comparisons to the early 80s. I, we may be looking at that again. And that was a rough time for a lot of years. But guess what? People got rich during that time, too. Yep. There's money to be made in every single market. Go back to the Great Depression. And some of our biggest companies grew out of the Great Depression. Somebody will win no matter how bad the market is. My philosophy is I, I want to make sure that I'm one of the winners. It, it, even if it's going to be bad, I know it's not going to be easy like it is now. You're tripping over money these days. I, I know we're going to be back to digging and working long days and working weekends and nights and whatever I have to do, but I'll do it. I'm going to be one of the winners that come out of this. And I want to make sure I can help a lot of other people come out of it as winners as well. Well, we're just convincing people to do that now, you know, pretend it's not, yeah. you know, it's not good because there's nothing like saving some money, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Well, we're both, you know, I'm, I'm a crypto enthusiast. Um, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan and believer in blockchain and the potential that it has to revolutionize 
human to human contact and, or, 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 or trade, you know, um, I think it can really revolutionize this business. Um, I interviewed a guy a few years ago um, on the podcast that was a broker that said, I will not retire as a broker. You know, he saw that the broker model would go away, that the middleman would be done away with by blockchain. And so I've kind of got this potential possible idea in mind that that collapse could also, there could, all, there's, there could be a landing spot when that happens and that landing spot could be blockchain um, that that gives us new opportunities that we can't see coming yet, but maybe we will. So I'm 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 hopeful for the next thirty six months because I think we can do some pretty revolutionary things. Uh oh, he's quiet. Yeah. Or, or, um, didn't you work with a, one of the early digital freight matching companies up in Colorado somewhere? Or am I just dreaming then? Um, I've worked with Convoy. Okay. That's what I'm Convoy's out of, it, Yeah, Convoy's out of Seattle. Um, Seattle, okay, okay. But they're digital freight matching, right? Convoy is, yeah. Yeah. Convoy's probably the second largest after Uber Freight. I don't even know what they're doing these days. Um, They've been kind of quiet. Yeah. Um, they were on a tear there for a couple of years, and I, I should probably go back and look to see what they're doing. Um, Convoy... Uh, Convoy is backed by huge, huge money. Bezos is one of the big investors in the Convoy. Convoy got hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and the founder of Convoy, I met him, is a, he made a gazillion dollars on other stuff, and he's just brilliant. And he comes from the Amazon world. Okay. So, you know... This I, I don't know where we're going on on freight matching and brokers. And, and here's why. The first time somebody told me technology was going to replace brokers was in 1990. And it was a broker that told me that. I went to a broker school. And, it you know, school's kind of a loose term. Um, I showed up at the office. My brother and I signed up at the same time. We showed up at the office. We were the only ones there for class. And class was really um, make coffee and take out the trash and watch us work. And when we have a break, we'll tell you how we do it. And we'll go to lunch and we'll tell you how we do it. We'll hang out after work and we'll tell you how we do it. We'll even take you on some of our sales calls and we'll talk. That was school. We, we just worked with them. Wasn't that in Phoenix, if I had to guess? Uh, the guy's in Phoenix now. Dave Dwinnell, but he was in um, Wisconsin okay. at the time. I, I took the same class. Yeah. Dave's a great guy, too. And, and Dave, brilliant. I mean, Dave knew more about brokering way back then. And in 1990, brokerage fairly new. Right. Prior to deregulation, we didn't have freight brokers. So no. in 1990, the, the whole industry is only about 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Brand new industry. And I remember sitting, and here's the other weird thing about that. That was the first flight I booked my own ticket online. Without going through a travel agent. No travel <laughs> agent. The, the, the system was called Easy Saber. And it was actually the backend system that travel agents used. Yep. And they opened it up to the public. And I went on Easy Saber and booked my own ticket the first time. I get there and he said, I was telling him about this because we were talking about technology. And he said, you know, he said, that's what's going to happen to me. 
He said, I'm just a travel agent for freight. He said, if this technology is going to replace travel agents and stockbrokers and insurance agents and brokers in general, what about me? And it made total sense. I said, you're right. Why am I coming to school for an industry that's about to die? And he said, well, I think we still have a couple of years left. And I said, okay. Um, and here we are, and we're still hearing from everybody that now this new technology is going to replace brokers. I'm not so sure it will. I, I, and if it does, when it does, will we still have drivers? I believe so. Here's, here's we'll still have some. We'll still have here's, some. Here's what but I think. Autonomous trucks are coming, and I'm, I'm <clears throat> back to believing they're coming faster than most people think. I don't disagree with you that they're coming. I don't think they're coming for me. But I think that the closer you get me, the, the operator, to the customer, the better off we both are, right? The customer gets better service. I make more money, right? I do that through Landstar. You know, Landstar's the middleman, but I've had a relationship with one customer for seven years. And it's, it's, it's highly mutual beneficial, but the more, the more middleman you put in there and somebody getting a piece of pie and the communication breaks down is more difficult. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe that when you look at the fundamental, um, uh, the, the, the fundamentals of blockchain and what it has the capacity to do, which is allow two people to trust each other that shouldn't trust each other. Um, and, and, and it allows them to connect without that central authority that we've had to have with eBay, with Amazon, with Facebook, with YouTube, with Google. There had to be somebody in the middle that, that owned uh, the, 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 um, the platform. They own the platform, right? Right. And with with the way the nodes work in blockchain, and I'm, I promise everybody, I'm not going down a rabbit hole. I, I'm gonna just one more second. That the nodes and the network, the way it has the potential to uh, to be and to the potential to exist, can open at least the door for customers and providers to connect directly with no middleman and no central authority. And if that happens the way people like me think it could, that's the revolutionary thing that the guy in 1990 believed, but didn't have, didn't have the ability because there still had to be a centralized network in order to make CH Robinson happen, to make Landstar happen. So I'm still very, very, very optimistic. And I also think that, the one problem with autonomous trucks is it can't replace me because you can't put it on a 13 to 18 stop load unloading windows. Now you can run it back and forth in a, in a wagon wheel and you can run it terminal to terminal, but I don't know how you're going to get it to do what I do. Well, I can tell you, I mean, I've, I've even purple. I've even hear people say, what about fueling? Oh, well, come on, let's think about this. If I have to hire a driver now that's making $100,000 a year because that's the market we're in and all he's really doing is unloading windows because hell, I can get a truck that drives itself now. Why don't I just hire somebody for much less to unload the windows when the truck gets there? Possible. Same for fuel. We fuel our own trucks because that just makes <clears throat> sense. We're already there. We might as well fuel it. But once autonomous trucks come in, You'll either somebody will either automate the fueling process or they'll have a minimum wage guy standing there putting the pump in the tank and filling up the truck and it takes off on its own. 
Uh, right now, I was shocked to hear this. Walmart, if you go to Bentonville, Arkansas right now, you will see a straight truck out delivering Walmart products, and there's no driver in that truck whatsoever. Hmm. Making multiple stop deliveries today, right now, and it's not a test. It is the, they say it is the first worldwide application of a fully autonomous vehicle with nobody in the truck. It's not a test. This is their business now. I guess the reason I stay hopeful as a driver, the one that holds a CDL, is I know that I can always make myself valuable in any market to specialize. You know, you're still going to be able to make money with a CDL for at least 20 years, but a lot less people, I think. The driver shortage, I think they found the solution. We haven't found the solution in 30 years of all the other things we've tried, but I, I think they found it here. And, and look, it, it's no different than any other industry. We've watched industry after industry after industry fall to automation. This one was just a little more complicated, but they've made huge strides. I, Too Simple, um, which is another huge company in truck automation, has just applied for their first round of no driver trucks. They've been testing their trucks and, and delivering freight with them for two and a half years now. But there's been a driver in the truck the whole time. But they're about ready to switch. They're, they're going to driverless now. It, it's coming. So blockchain's coming. I, I see this as a long transition is what I see. I don't see blockchain moving into the market and C.H. Robinson and Convoy going out of business. I just don't see that happening. I think it'll be a slow transition. I don't think there's going to be some huge opportunity because if blockchain exists, well, then everybody's got it. So I, it doesn't give me any advantage. So I just don't see some big, huge shift where all of a sudden every small broker or carrier is going to be doing better because of blockchain and the brokers are gone. I, I just don't see that happening. And here's the thing. Let's say we've got a load that moves with a broker right now. And I'm just going to use numbers to make it easy. Let's say the load's going to move for three bucks a mile. And let's see, 15% uh, of that would be what, 45, 45 bucks. Is that right? So the broker gets 45 bucks. I get the rest and the shipper paid three bucks a mile. If I go directly to the shipper, do I want to pull it for just what the, what I was getting before? No, I did some of the broker's job. Now I want to get the broker's money too. So the shipper isn't getting any great deal. That's why shippers don't want to get rid of brokers because brokers do all the work for the shipper. And yet the shipper feels like it doesn't cost them anything. It's like having a full-time shipping department that doesn't cost you anything because a good broker should get you a good rate. That's the whole point of them. Right. That's why we always think as owner operators and drivers, brokers are going to disappear because we don't like them and we believe they take money out of our pocket. Shippers are the exact opposite. Shippers don't want them to disappear. It's the best deal they've got going. If they could go hire a printing department that would print all their material for next to nothing, they would do that too. I, uh, you're, you're, you know, obviously you're aware of freight waves and, and what Craig Fuller's doing down in Chattanooga. 
um, I was, I went down there a few years ago, right before I met Larry and I met one of the, these Uber nerds that he hired, uh, to do sonar and we're having this conversation and an article had just recently come out about the city that wasted the most driver's time. Right. And it was, I don't know, Washington DC or something, but they had named this city. And I was like, well, how do you come up with that metric? Okay, so they're buying all this ELD data that's now available because all the trucks have ELDs, right? So they can gather, they gobble up all this metadata. And I'm talking to this guy that's, you know, just out straight out of MIT or whatever. Um, and his job is just to grab all this data and parse it and figure out what he can come out with it. And I said, so you can tell me the name of the city. He goes, I can tell you the name of the shipper. I can tell you the name of the address. I can tell you right now. And I went, oh. And, and I, the next question, of course, is why haven't you done it? And they still haven't, for whatever reason, pulled their pants down. Then they named the shipper to me. He's like, I can tell you, it's this place right over here. They're the number one time waster of driver based on detention data from ELDs, right? So when I look at that from a driver's perspective, I'm going, it was always my word against theirs, Right. I said they took four hours. They said, no, he didn't. I can write times in on the bill of the bill of lading. They won't, they won't sign it. They won't agree to it. But now there's this game changer with the LDs that says, yeah, he was here from this time to this time. Um, if someone back to central authorities, if someone has that data and can collate it and say, yeah, this shipper right here, they're dirt bags. They, they waste the driver's time. Let's publish that and, and, and ruin their reputation and make it harder. That's the other thing that I can't get away from with blockchain is that it's immutable. And once the data is there, it can't be erased. So if you have carriers and you have customers that now can be rated by immutable data that says, well, if you go there, it's going to take six hours to get unloaded. Well, I'm either not going or you're going to pay me big money. So it could be a behavior modifier if it well, does, me, even if it doesn't get away with brokers, it could be a behavior modifier to make drivers behave and make shippers and receivers behave. Two comments. One, there's already okay. better technology than that already being used to solve that problem. And two, I'm not sure it's going to solve the problem anyway. It might. But here's the thing. How many drivers do you know that already know those horrible places that take forever to get you unloaded, make you swap pallets? We could jump through all the hoop. We know about them, right? We've known about them for 30 years. Most people still go back and they don't charge anymore. They just keep doing it. We've known this forever that those places are like that. But, okay, I, so I'm the fleet manager. I book 50, 60 loads a week, right? And one of the things that new people that come to the Landstar system don't understand is they're like, well, why'd you send me here? And I'm like, because when I went on the board, I had a city, a state, I had mileage, I had pickup times, delivery times, and money. That's it. I didn't get the address. I didn't get, I didn't know where we were going until I got the rate con. When I got the rate con that says, oh, it's going to that Walmart. It's too late. I can't back right. out at that point. Okay. That's the, I feel like every decision we make, in this business, we have to look back and say, okay, well, here's what we did. Now, how do we forecast? Something like blockchain could give us real-time data that we can say, we could make different decisions based on different decisions. It reminds me of Zig Ziglar. Wait, wasn't Zig Ziglar said, you can't change anybody's mind, but you can give them information to make a different decision. Give me better information 
that I can use in real time so that I'm not walking into things blind. And so much of what we do yeah. is like, where's the load? You know, that, that's, yeah, well, that's going to happen. We'll go back to convoy. Um, convoy wanted to use technology to solve some of our industry problems because that's what they do. That's their expertise. They're not a trucking company. They're not a broker. Um, when I go up there, it was when I went up there early, when convoy was new and I went up there the first time, I felt like I was at a truck show because everybody in the building surrounded me and started answering, asking me questions and they wanted to follow me to lunch and they wanted to take me to dinner that night. And because they were tech people who were so hungry to learn about trucking and they, they, they were in their own little tech bubble up there in Seattle. And when somebody walked in that knew about trucking, they were like, Oh, I got a question. I got a and I was blown away by how little trucking knowledge was in the building at that time. Now that's changed quite a bit and they're getting much better at it, but they are doing some pretty interesting things with technology. If detention time is a problem, the first thing you have to do is get detention time in your contract and everybody agrees to it. And we agree to the parameters. We'll give you the first hour. We'll give you the first two hours, whatever we negotiate. But once we negotiate it, then you're going to pay me for this time. And their solution is so much easier than blockchain. Their app has geofencing. When I pull in, their app clocks me in. They know I'm there. I know I'm here. The shipper knows I'm here. Everybody knows I'm here. When I leave, their technology says he's off our property. Convoy knows it. I know it. The shipper knows it. The receiver knows it. Everybody knows it. And it's documented. And now you're going to pay that detention time. And it's clean and simple. You know, the, one of the things that concerns me a little bit about this, this change in, in our industry is because I, I, I work through this in photography, you know, even uh, and, and, you know, I mean, for, for, I mean, since Matthew Brady, you know, we did things, you know, with chemicals, you know, and, right. and, and so when all of a sudden this, this, you know, these, this thing starts coming up on the horizon that would replace that, everybody said the same thing that Chris said, well, it won't hurt me because I am, you know, I'm Superman or whatever. <clears throat> and, and I'm telling you, the predictions were they would take 15 years at the earliest before we come mainstream. Right. In five years, Kodak and Fuji were off the stock market. Yep. Here's the trend you can see with technology. Early small technology favors the little guy. Yeah. Right now we're in the part of trucking that the technology favors us. Right. All this app technology, this is all working for us. Big technology favors the big guy. That's why I'm afraid of things like blockchain. I, I just don't see a place where blockchain helps me. I, I, I have a feeling that blockchain somehow is going to help C.H. Robinson more than it helps me if I were a small broker today. So I, I like early technology seems to favor the little guy and give us a, a fighting chance because it's, it's cheap, it makes us more efficient. I, I have no idea how I would ever implement blockchain. I can't. Somebody else would have to do it. It's not going to be in my control. 
And that kind of technology tends to favor the big guys. And that's what scares me. Well, well one, well, one example of that though, is yeah, I, I believe you're absolutely right. What you said is 100% correct. Um, but when we're paying attention and we're open to those things that are kind of happening out on the fringes on the bleeding edge gives us opportunity to, to absolutely. make, you know, yes. uh, my best friend made a hundred thousand dollars in crypto last year, you know, bought a truck and leased it to us and is now, uh, you know, returning hey, off hey, of that hey, investment. Hey, look, look, I, I've only, got a question. Yeah, go I, I've got a question. And I, I'm look, I'm not saying your friend lies. I'm not. Let, let's just say it's not your friend. Let's say we're talking about somebody else. I've seen so many people lie about investments over the years. Nobody ever admits when they make an investment, lose money. They just go away right. quietly. If they right. make a little bit of money, they usually exaggerate it. Some people just outright lie. I'd have right. to wonder if he had such an easy time making $100,000 in cryptocurrency, why you would go buy a truck? Well, um, well, we have the truck. We, we operate the truck every day, right? He, he had 100 grand. He, he's a, a fuel hauler. He's a company driver, single income, wife, four kids. She doesn't work outside the home. And they took all of the Joe Biden money and the Trump money, and they, they stuck it into crypto. Now, the reason it worked for him, and that's what I was getting to, the, the, the point wasn't about the money. He'd been paying attention to crypto for five years so that he's, oh, there's, a, there's an opportunity it, he never jumped on the hype wagon. People were getting into some of these weird cryptos that had names. He bought cryptos you've never heard of, right? And they would they would pop up and he would sell and he would pop up another one and he would sell. He would pop up another one and he turned it into a hundred thousand real dollars. So the, then let me he stop went there just, just okay. so because I always wonder about this. Mm -hmm. The only look scaling a business many times is really, really difficult. It's hard to scale in trucking because we can't get drivers, good drivers. That, that's what, right. otherwise, if I'm, if I'm really successful with 10 trucks, why don't I just go buy a hundred? Right. Because I can't, I can't scale like that. I can't get drivers. I can't get mechanics. I, many businesses are really, really difficult to scale. How do I scale my nutritional business when I have to send somebody for a year of training to, to get them to the point where they can answer questions and I have my customers complaining about three bucks a month. I, that's a tough business to scale. Investing is easy to scale. If I can make 100,000 in crypto, all I would have had to have done is just invest twice as much and I would have made 200. If I have a strategy and it works and I trust it, why would I do anything else? Why not just keep scaling what I'm doing? Because it well, in, in his way. in his scenario, though, he he saw an opportunity, he seized it, and then he went, "Okay, now I'm good." We we and we had many talks about this. I'm like, "Why not take the money now and invest in a real asset, which was a truck?" Which he did. He put forty thousand into a truck, handed it to us. Now it's making a return for him every week. Shortly thereafter, the crypto markets crashed, right? But he was out at that point. And now he's slowly like a hundred bucks a week or something. He's getting back in and he's buying a bunch of cryptos you've never heard of. But again, for him, it was not about, Ooh, I'm going to go try to make money. It was, I see an opportunity. Let me drop 500 here. Let me drop a thousand here. And the, and so you're then, correct. If he would have stayed in at this point, he would have probably 250,000, but 
he couldn't just like you you teach just like Dave Ramsey teaches you have to play it for the long game you have to know that you can't stuff your whole um you, you know your whole nest egg into uh what's the Oh, I can't think of the financial term, but risky, risky stock, right? You need to be in the mutual right. funds. You need to be in the slow stuff that makes sense. What I the the whole reason that I that I said that that I get, used him as an example was that it only happened because he had been paying attention for years to where he went. Oh, wow! I see an opportunity. He didn't say, "Oh, there's crypto and and whatever that Dogecoin was," right? So I think as this new technology comes in, those of us that are looking around and going, I see that over there. I see that over there. That sucks. That, But that's really interesting. Let me go over there and have a little taste. And maybe, you know, that's, I'm just talking about an awareness. I'm looking around and, and, and seeing what's there. I, and I agree with you because the comment I keep making to people is don't invest money in something you don't understand. 100%. Don't invest money into something you can't explain to a fourth grader so that they can understand it. When you can do that now. So that's what this guy did. He's been watching this for years. So he mm -hmm. has enough knowledge to make a little bit of money. Right. Professional investors aren't going out there trying to make all their money off crypto. It's no. way too risky. It's way, way too, too volatile. So, yeah, I agree with you in in that case. No doubt. Um, you don't invest in something you don't understand. And that's what everybody's running off to do. And then unfortunately they keep hearing stories like this. Oh, but my friend made a hundred thousand dollars and you know, he did it in his sleep. And, um, it, those are the stories you hear. Nobody ever says my friend really screwed up and he jumped in when everybody was talking about it and he lost 75% of his investment. He'll never right. go back and do it again. That's a much more common story. One. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, let's, so, let, let's circle back a little bit to the blockchain part of this and, and off the crypto. Okay. <clears throat> what, what, what do you think about the, 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 the blockchain as a secure uh, way of shaking hands and, 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 and doing transactions, but also it. you do. <laughs> yeah. But what, but what about the inefficiencies though of our, of our, of our system right now where we have all these trucks running up and down the road that are half empty that could have more freight on them if the freight knew where the truck was and the truck knew where the freight was. Do you know how good opportunity, you know how good entrepreneurs make money? Uh, they exploit well, inefficiencies. Yeah. Find a hole that you, you need to be filled. This is an important point. It's hard for me to explain this and how important it is. Blockchain technologies can be good for the masses. They can be good for the economy. They might be good for the industry. They won't be good for small entrepreneurs. Small entrepreneurs, especially all entrepreneurs, make money and find opportunities taking advantage of and exploiting inefficiencies in a market. Once the inefficiencies are gone, it becomes a total commodity. Here's the price. Take it or leave it. There's no relationships anymore. There's no service anymore. There's no value anymore. It is the inefficiencies that we exploit to build our business and our relationships. The inefficiency right now is that the shipping manager doesn't understand trucking and he doesn't want to. He needs you to do that. You're the guy that comes in and says, let me take care of it as a broker. 
or even as a carrier in some cases. I can come in and say, let me handle your shipping for you. You don't understand trucking. I do. That's my value to you. And I can exploit that. But once we get rid of the inefficiencies out of a market, there's nothing left to exploit. I'll be onto a new market. I'm going to have to go find some inefficiencies to make money. Well, you found one, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the health industry is wide open to exploit. It's awful. It's a mess. About it. the, bigger, the bigger mess an industry is, the more opportunity there is. Once you fix all the problems, it, and if blockchain is going to fix all of our problems, I'll be gone. There's nothing left in trucking to do. I don't think I don't see I don't see blockchain as you know the savior coming on the cross. You know I don't I don't see it as that. I, I see it as a I see it as a way to, for for customers and or for consumers and producers to connect more efficiently and more directly. You know, listen the the, the where does that leave me? I know I but want the, those people to come to me to solve I, their problems. I get that. But the, the crypto anarchist in me is screaming, say to him that what if it kills the big guy? Like, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I, you know, I, I'm 100% a nerd. I'm 100% a fanboy. I, and I fully admit that. But I'm very excited to see what decentralization does to get rid of some negative influences in the market that need to die. That need to give go me, away. Give me an example of one. U.S. government. Um, oh, this will be reserve. worse because the government's going to be all over regulating blockchain. I wish them the best of luck. No, they um, will. They'll be, they'll be all oh, over I, it. They're I, all they, over they will, yeah. but I wish them the yeah. best of luck. But we're we're, we're circling around but, a rabbit hole. Larry. No, but again, and, and the reason I'm asking for specifics, and, and I have a feeling <laughs> you may not have thought them through yet. But give me a specific, and I'll turn that into an advantage. When you Odyssey keep versus taking YouTube. away those problems and those inefficiencies with technology, I have nothing left to solve. Odyssey versus YouTube. YouTube right. is YouTube is centralized. YouTube is part of the problem. I'm glad we're on YouTube right now. I'm glad we can reach people through YouTube and Facebook. But there are lots of people, as we've seen over the last twenty months, especially that they have the absolute freedom to connect with, to say anything they want to say, right? Absolutely fundamental right. But in order to reach their audience, they have to go through YouTube and YouTube can turn them off if they say the wrong thing. So they just moved from YouTube to Odyssey and Odyssey is completely decentralized. There's literally nobody that can press the button to turn them off. That's a perfect that's example like of decentralized. But that's not why people go to Odyssey. People don't even know what decentralized means. Yet. No, but that's not what drove them to Odyssey. YouTube made a gazillion dollars. It was a clearly an awesome business model. It's time to change. But people will go to Odyssey and, and don't even know what the word decentralized means. They just go because it's a better platform now. They're not going to well, be censored. Right. That's all they care about. Right. But and that's, that, fine. That, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. bleeding so, edge. So, Right. YouTube has created the inefficiencies that I'll go exploit now. That's what I mean. There's a huge problem in the YouTube world. We want problems in business. That's what we exploit to make money and provide value. Blockchain to me, here's what I've always said about technology. In business, I want technology to enhance my relationships, not replace them. 
That's a great point. I like that. You sort of dealt with this whenever you decided to take all of your tribes off of Facebook and went to your own platform. Absolutely. But that was a shift prior to Facebook being so popular. We had our own platform, right? Yeah. Facebook forced us out of it because Facebook was so wildly successful. We couldn't keep people on our platform because they wanted to be on Facebook all day because their friends were there and their family was there and that's where everybody was. So we had to go join them until Facebook became such a big problem that wasn't worth it anymore. But isn't and it, what you concerned? Not only was Facebook causing us problems, the, the the members didn't like it either. Right. So it was a win-win. You know, we have a much smaller group now, but a much more loyal group, and people are getting more value than they ever did on Facebook. But wasn't your concern though about censorship of your your health, you know, approach kind of what your fear was with Facebook? Oh, that's the whole reason we left. They were censoring us heavily. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we left. I would have stayed. There's still more people on Facebook by speaking, far. Speaking of that, did, is there the serious, they have any way of giving you any kind of polling information about your, your, your listenership? And, and I mean, how, do they, do they, do they give you these numbers or do you even know what they are? Nobody knows as far as I can tell. Uh, I'll tell you the most I've gotten out of them. When we were negotiating the new contract and they called and said, okay, you know, we can make this work. What time slot do you want? And we were going back and forth on negotiations. One of the things I said was all bets are off until you start giving me some numbers. And they said, no, we don't do that. And I said, well, you're going to at least once. And they said, we really don't want the hosts focusing on who's more popular. And I said, I don't know why not. That's how entertainment has run forever. I, that that's good competition. Why wouldn't we want to know that if I'm not doing well, if somebody's blowing me away in my numbers, well, then I want to do something better, but how do I know? And they said, well, it, that's, it's a serious thing. We're not doing it. We don't share numbers with our host. We don't have a lot of numbers. And I said, you have to have something. And they said, we do. And I said, okay, I want you to share it with me at least one time. And then I'll shut up. I, I just want to know. And I said, if not, I may not sign a new contract. Uh, and they said, okay, here, here's what we do. Across the whole SiriusXM platform on talk, we monitor call attempts per hour. And roughly, if we get 50 to 100 call attempts an hour, we'll, we'll keep that show. That, that's a reasonable amount of call attempts for a show. It shows it's got enough listeners. You know, we'll keep it around. And I said, okay. And they said, on the other end of the spectrum, Howard Stern can generate a thousand call attempts an hour. That's the other end, the other extreme. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. When I filled in on the weekday show in the afternoon, mm -hmm. what were my numbers? Because I know you were looking at them. And they said over six hundred. Sweet. <laughs> I remember the nighttime shows. Well, you had fifteen minute blogs. Well, you do now too, but. It was a little different. I don't, I don't know. You spent more time with each caller because a caller would basically take one 15 minutes. Usually, yeah. And, and you'd hold them over a lot of times too, you know. So the whole show, you'd, you'd get four callers, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the time I liked the best was when I first got this, but we were running it out of New York before COVID. 
because mm-hmm. I only had one hard break at the top of the hour. Right, right. I right. got to pick my other three breaks so I could finish a call, then go to the break yeah. and not have to carry somebody through the break. Sure. But because of the technology, we had to move everything out of New York. And it's a technology thing. It's just too complicated to make that happen. Although, I don't think there's any reason I'm not allowed to tell people this. Um, my show in December, I'll go back to the Nashville studios. Okay. And I'm hoping when we go back, I'll be able to drop the hard breaks again. I haven't heard on that yet. Good deal. Well, uh, Chris, is there anything else we need to talk about? We've kept him here for a lot longer than he thought it would be. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a whole lot longer than I thought it would be. I, my um, bill will reflect that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I just, again, I, we, you know, I, I couldn't have ever, even though I failed miserably of, of my own doing, um, I would have failed a lot quicker had it not been for what I got from you on the radio, the understanding, the, the listening to someone else explain their problem. And I, cause I remember one time thinking that, that the, the real feeling of being an owner operator was going, Oh my God, what's that smell? Oh, it's the truck beside <laughs> me. Thank God. And then haul ass. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and you helped me so much. And of course, you know, the, what you did for Larry, what you do for people every day is life changing. And that's, we're just trying to do a little bit of that ourselves and, and, and give what we have found that works and, and pass it on. And, uh, we just can't thank you enough for what you've done for us and for being here tonight to celebrate our hundredth episode, Larry. Well, I, I couldn't, I wholeheartedly agree, obviously. I mean, you know, I, I knew nothing about this business and I wouldn't know anything about it now if it weren't for you. And, um, I, um, I mean, you know, the, the CMC was, was, you know, it, it just did a lot for so many people, you know, and we have such fond memories of it. And I know it's difficult, you know, now to think about doing that same kind of thing, but boy, does our industry need it, you know? Um, we do. And, we and do. that's what, and that's what gave me this idea at Landstar. Cause I, mean, I could see the, I mean, I could see it. I could see that there are too many people that make a decision to come to Landstar and they find out that, well, I've got to have a truck. So then they make a rash decision to get a truck, which usually involves a lease or buying the wrong truck or whatever. And they're doomed from the start. So all we're trying to do is, is slow that process down and, and, and make sure that these people understand that, that we, this change of identity thing, we, we, we beat it to death. You know, you have to go from being a company driver, doing company driver things to, to, to opening a business. And now it's not the driving that's important anymore. Right. You know, it's the business right. side. People don't go out of business at Landstar because they can't hit a dock. You know, they go out of business because they exactly. don't understand what is what cost per mile is, or they have no you, idea what their miles per gallon is. You know what the 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 uh, two biggest events that put owner operators out of business are? What? A breakdown of the truck, or a yeah. breakdown of their own health. Yeah. Well, you're exactly, you're exactly right. It, it, you're it's exactly one of the reasons we have the power hours on Tuesday and we have all day Wednesday for health. It's the two and, and Mike Beckett on Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we hit maintenance, health maintenance. It's sure. the two biggest reasons owner operators go out of business. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, listen, I thank tell you guys, one of, you know, uh, one of the, one of the guys, commenters just, I want to thank me. you guys too, real quick. Um, I can't, I could never do what I do without people like you, people who listen and, and learn and do it and then go on. You guys are in the trenches now. 
I mean, I, I kind of miss those days. You're, you're down there in the trenches with these guys. I like it down there. You're welcome to come back anytime, sir. Okay? I, I might. We'll one share of, the trench with you, okay? One you of go. the commenters reminded me that we should be linking all of your stuff, so I'll put letstruck.com uh, up you. on the screen. Uh, any any other links or, or information you want to give out as a part of getting to uh, everything about uh, you? Truckingtribe.com is a good one. Yeah. Okay. I will put those links in with the show notes. Larry, if y'all, if that's all you had, we can go ahead and shut it down now. Um, uh, well, give, give Lisa our best. Um, and, uh, guys have a, have a happy holiday season coming up here and, uh, hopefully we'll see you at the Louisville truck show. You think? I love that. Well, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, um, I did commit, uh, just the other day, they called me and asked me if I do education sessions. The show called me and I said, yeah, I'll be there. So we've had a lot of people. What, I'll be there doing something. We've had a lot of people with an interest in us having a, another uh, one of our events. And we, we hoped we could do one yet this year, but we're just too busy. And, and two with the weather, you know, we'd have to have it in the South somewhere. And so I'm thinking that we might do something kind of in conjunction with the, with the truck show week or weekend, you know, so we may be up there anyway. So maybe we could join forces and have yeah. you come over and, and say something. Like that, so. It's been yeah. tough since I've turned Larry into the darling of the internet. So, <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, make sure, make sure if you're going to do something and you have details, get them to me as soon as possible. Okay. What ends up happening is at this event, everything gets booked. I'm going to sure, have sure. webinars I have to do, seminars I have to do. People want lunches and dinners, and right. and pretty soon my whole time's booked. But if you guys are doing something, I want to be there. I appreciate that, Kevin. I will. I actually thought about it today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call some hotels uh, probably this week and, and, and go ahead and get some reservations in. Uh, I may call you and just talk to you about your advice on the, on, on where, I mean, not where, but when during that weekend, whether it be Thursday or whether it be Sunday or you know, I'm not going to so, run up against the truck show. That's it, for sure. So, yeah, this probably isn't a good example because I did one CMC in conjunction with the Louisville truck show, but it was really, really early. Mm -hmm. The program wasn't that popular yet. Um, I did it on Wednesday and Thursday, or maybe even Tuesday and Wednesday to make sure I didn't conflict with the show at all. I think right. I did it Tuesday and Wednesday. I only had nine people at that event. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't so. We're going to do that. <laughs> it, it, after that, I thought it could have just been a fluke. This isn't, but it, it was, you know, I had several others where I had 15, 20, 25. I had a couple sellouts. And now I'm thinking at the truck show, I'm going to sell this thing out in a heartbeat. Everybody's already there. Right. I, I right. had nine people. Yeah. Well, and that's my thinking too. If I can have it somewhere where guys don't have to drive, like if I can get in that hotel that's in the parking yeah, lot, you know, exactly where guys can walk over and we're not looking for a big crowd. You know, if we get 35, 40 people, we're happy. Yeah. You know? I would think you could get that, but if you're going to do something as soon as you know, and you can block out some time, sure. um, let me know so I can block it out and tell somebody, nope, already taken. Okay. We'll be in touch. Okay. So. Perfect. Again, thanks, Kevin. Very, very much. We, thank we you. Love I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you very much, sir. Okay. Good. It was great to finally meet you. Take care. So, thanks, Bye. thanks, Kevin. Wow. Well, what episode one hundred is over. Um, we listen. We have worked so hard to put that together. I don't know if y'all know this, but Kevin Rutherford's kind of a busy guy. 
So we have been, uh, <laughs> we've been trying to put this together and finally here we are. Um, so I, I feel like I've said this a thousand times. We promise we'll do more regular content and then we don't. So sorry about that. I'll just go ahead and just, just lay out a blanket apology and, and well, here we are. Well, we announced that we'd have a special guest for our hundredth episode. And of course I'm trying to line up the special guest and, and then I'm tired. You know, I get, I ended up having to go to Vegas for a week with, with Landstar. And so it, it just, a week would go by and I'd say, well, maybe we need to have episode 99A, Chris, you know, because we couldn't yeah. do anything else because we'd already announced it that we were going to have a special guest. So we had to wait till we could put it all together. I mean, it's certainly not Kevin's fault. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. It's just our, you know, our getting together and, and, and making it, putting, putting it all together. And Kevin is so busy, you have to work through, you know, his lovely wife, Lisa. So she's kind of his booking agent. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> and, uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm glad we, we've done this. We do have a few other, uh, you know, special guests lined up. We're going to, we're going to have Steve Crone, the guy who just hit 12 miles per gallon oh on God. his truck. Um, wow. and, uh, he's agreed to come on and talk about fuel mileage and, and also fuel at Landstar is kind of tricky. So, um. Uh, he's, he's agreed to come on. So we'll have him on shortly, but we'll try to get back to something a little more regular. We are busy. You know, we, we're, we're, we're having a, a record year. Um, the rates are great, but we're not, we're, we're, we're acting like it's the pandemic. We're working our ass off. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, that's just my, uh, that's just the fibers in my body, you know? So, um, but, um, we are going to, um, try to pick up a few trucks, from Landstar BCOs who can't keep drivers uh, in the first part of next year. So maybe we'll have three or four openings come up uh, when we do that. We're trying to find trucks. They're just so hard to find right now. And when you find one, it's priced at three or four times what it's worth uh, because of this crazy economy we're in. Um, but um, uh, we'll we got, uh, a, got a comment that comes here right in on that. How can I get a truck least managed on Blue Ribbon? Um, well, email us and we'll talk to you about that. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, you, 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 you probably can do it, but you, there's lots of, there's lots of things you have to meet. So, um, yeah, it's not easy, but it can be done. Yeah. Yeah. Now but, here's the best, here's the best comment that's ever come up on our, on our live, uh, on our live stream, get Byron waters up seven mile gallon. Uh, We'll have, to well, put know, him in, we'll have to put him in a different truck, Rocky. Yeah, we'll have to, you know, listen, the modifications that's going to have to be done to your truck to make that happen may be a little painful. Well, we do have him over six now. I mean, that's, well, uh, yeah. he, he's, he's, he's like mid fixes now. So, um, <clears throat> so what happens when you run around empty half the time? We, we got that old trucker out of it that used to be driving it here, you know. Easy now. That, uh, I resemble that remark. But, uh, <clears throat> Uh, well, well, if you, if, if you are a BCO and, um, you're looking for some assistance, um, go to blue ribbon logistics.com slash BCO mentoring. We have a program for Landstar BCOs, um, where we can help you with, um, making your business more successful, managing risk, accounting, everything that we've talked about, everything that Kevin's ever talked about. We can do that with you and uh, kind of walk hand in hand with you. So go to the website, check that out, send us an email. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
I mowed grass in a windstorm the other day, and my sinuses are really not happy with me. Everybody thinks I got COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we got anything else we can promote? I mean, it's all about the money, right? Yeah. No, that's it. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, we we are growing. We've got a couple people in the pipeline. We've got a bunch of interviews we haven't even gotten to yet. So, you know obviously keep um you know keep those coming uh go to drive for blue ribbon.com and drive the number four blue ribbon.com and um you can um, fill out the form and um let us know if you're interested in driving here and, i will say this because i know we do have a, a, a landstar audience and, and even if someone's listening isn't doing it they might know somebody that is we are going to try to look for a handful of of BCO's second or third trucks that they have trouble keeping drivers. I've got yeah. drivers. I need trucks. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if you know of anybody that has a, 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 it doesn't have to be a lunatic truck, but it has to be sensible and it has to be paid for. Yeah. And it has to be, you know, it has to, it has to pass Carl's inspection. So it can't be a piece of shit. So, <laughs> um, but if you've got, if you want a truck managed well, uh, making lots of money, um, you know, get, uh, have them get a hold of us. Now, if you're, if you're not, if you're not a BCO and you want us to run your truck, that, that, that's a, that's a very high bar. Okay. So, but we'll, we'll talk to you. We'll look at it. But, um, I know there's uh, lots of BCOs out there with, with that bought other trucks thinking that they would be easy to get an employee and they found out how difficult it was. Yeah. So we can probably help you out a few of you if, uh, if you want to work with us. So just give us a call or email or even fill out that drive for us and just explain what you are. We'll get, yeah. there, get here. So, All right, guys. Well, we appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. We thank Kevin Rutherford coming and joining us. Um, that was and, big. And, and Landstar does not require the jab, whoever asked that. So, yeah, I'll put that on. It's Landstar force and the jab now. Landstar's not going to. Or, you know, Landstar is not my employer. He we is. are not employees of Landstar. Okay. We're employees of Blue Ribbon Logistics. And I damn sure won't require you to have the jet. Well, I said this over the weekend. Um, I'm 45 years old living in the year 2021, and I cannot be forced, shamed, um, coerced, or mandated. Why? Um, I know my value in the marketplace, and my customers, 99% of them, couldn't give a shit if I have taken the jab, right? Uh, but my customers also don't care if I'm sick, if my kids are sick, if I stub my toe, if I'm stuck in the weather, they don't care about that stuff. All they care about is the fact that I show up and do uh, a service for them. I solve their problem. And as long as I'm solving their problem, they don't care. And I'm going to keep doing that in, um, you know, but self-employment is pretty much the only freedom there is left as long as it's disciplined freedom. And I have nothing against if you want to get, if you want to get the vaccine, but I I'm for your, it to be your choice. Okay. Right. If you want to have it I, more power to, I'm not, I'm not, not in favor of that vaccination. I'm in favor of you making that decision on your own, not your employer, certainly not the government, you know, uh, telling you what to do with your body. What happened to it's my body, my choice. Where'd oh, that, that go? That went out the window. That, that went out the window with people before profits. Yeah. 
Well, let's don't get started on another. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to open up any more wormholes. All right, everybody. We'll see y'all yeah. next time. Guys, we, pre we appreciate you. Thank you very much. Okay. Good night.